Hey y'all, and welcome back into another edition of the Knollcast. This is your host, Bud Elliott, coming to you uh, on Wednesday, February 6th, National Signing Day. And uh, for Florida State, it was a very uh, mixed bag. We will get into this. A couple quick show notes. First of all, as you know, the show is brought to you by Louisiana Hot Sauce. Louisiana Hot Sauce, three simple ingredients, one great taste. We've had a lot of y'all tweet uh, delicious Louisiana Hot Sauce recipes at us recently, including uh, chili and uh, you put it on wings and, and a number of other great items, some gumbo. And then we had an interesting debate on Twitter as to whether the uh, what the person posted was actually gumbo or not. Uh, I'm going to say, you know, it, it probably w- was within the, the confines of what I would consider gumbo to be. Uh, so a couple other housekeeping notes here. Number one, uh, Ingram returns from Europe uh, tomorrow. So we will be actually recording two episodes this week. We're going to get this one which will include my thoughts on National Signing Day, as in what went down on National Signing Day. Uh, And then we will also talk basketball with Matt Minnick later in the show. Additionally, uh, we are going to talk, uh, in the next episode, we're going to talk a little more analysis, a little more behind the scenes stuff, a little more looking forward, that type of deal. So Florida State today, like I said, a mixed bag. Um, did not bring in a lot of elite talent today, certainly to close out the class. Their class finishes number 16 in the nation, which uh, if you had told me that last year at this time, I would have thought you were nuts. So certainly not the class that Willie Taggart wanted to bring in this time. I know the coaching staff is disappointed in the overall level of talent they brought in. I do think that they are encouraged by some of the uh, the character and, and the you know, competitive spirit of some of the kids they brought in, really trying to fix the culture. They spoke about that a lot tonight at, at the booster event over at the car museum where, where they talked about a lot of these kids, but uh, still you got to get elite talent and they're not doing enough of that in this class. So I'll, I'll just come out and say it. The 2020 recruiting class will likely make or break Willie, Willie Taggart's time in Tallahassee just flat out. If he kills it, I think I'll, I'll be really back in the boat as far as him being able to have a successful time in Tallahassee. If he doesn't, then that's three straight classes that, that are not uh, not filled with elite talent, and that's what you have to do to succeed at the highest levels in college football. So number 16 class, 22 commitments, zero five-stars, 10 four-stars, 12 three-stars. Uh, the last time that they took more, uh, more three-stars than four-stars was the 2013 class, after which, yes, they did turn around and win the national championship almost immediately. However, uh, that 2013 class, if you look back on it, uh, had a ton of busts in it. And uh, ultimately, that's just small sample size theater. Uh, you should not judge a class um, based on how one other class was perhaps as talented or more talented and did or did not do better. You need to look at, at how classes perform in totality across you know hundreds of classes and thousands of kids. And as we know, getting more higher rated players is better. So uh, more three stars than, than four stars, not a recipe for winning long-term, not against elite programs. So yes, I think some positives will come of this class. I think there are some kids in this class who I definitely like. However, um, got to get more talent next year. Really need to get more elite players or, or it's going to be, uh, it's going to be tough sledding. So number two in the ACC, uh, pretty clearly behind Clemson. Um, not not by a mile, but but certainly uh, a, a decent bit behind Clemson. Um, way ahead of Miami uh, and ahead of Virginia Tech as well. Um, behind Florida, who, who signed a bigger class, but also one uh, that's more talented. Now, you could probably tell me, hey, if, if I told you that Florida would win 10 games and Florida State would win 5 games, and the gap was only, I think, 5 or 6 or 7 spots or whatever it was in the rankings, I would have probably laughed at you and said, yeah, right. If, if Florida does that, they're absolutely going to clean up. And uh, ultimately, the gap was a little bit smaller uh, than I think you would have thought, given those two uh, two records of those programs. So perhaps a silver lining there. Um, you know, I, I look at our, our iTunes reviews, and I don't, I don't try to craft the show to what people want uh, as far as more positive, more negative. But we do get a lot of feedback that says, be more negative. And we also get a lot of feedback that says, be more positive. <laughs> Go figure, right? So ultimately, we're just going to try to keep doing uh, what we do. And that's just hopefully tell the truth to you and uh, you know give our insight. So the day started out uh, 
They started out pretty nicely getting Darius Washington, but I'm, I'm going to go in order of the positions here. So we're going to start with quarterback. We're going to have a, a long or longer quarterback discussion, most likely here, and that's with uh, uh, Lance LeJean, who uh, showed up in an absolutely incredible suit, by the way. I do have to give the kid credit for that. But he uh, he commits to Maryland over the weekend. Maryland, which is where he visited on his final weekend. Uh, Maryland, as best I can tell, does not have the kind of playing time to sell that Florida State has. Uh, Maryland is uh, at least as good, if not a better school academically. So considering his qualifying concerns um, makes me kind of wonder what's going on there. And I can tell you the staff was, uh, was, was pretty flummoxed on this one. There were some kids like Kamar Bell who, you know, as of the night before, they weren't sure were coming. And there were some kids who were pretty sure were coming. And uh, Lejean was, was in that pretty sure group along with Ira Henry and, um, you know, a few others like, like, like keeping Quayshon Fuller. So Lejean to, uh, to Maryland, you know, I know he did have some relationship with Mike Loxley when, when Loxley was at Alabama, but I, I don't think it was a, a real in-depth relationship. Florida State has been recruiting uh, Lejean for, for a while now. And uh, yeah, they, they slow played him like crazy over the summer. There's no doubt. Um, but over the summer, he also had bigger grades concerns and, and a shoulder injury. So we don't know that he's going to qualify, but it certainly would be a lot better to have him than to not have him in the class. And it makes me wonder kind of how Maryland got him. I'm not alleging anything nefarious, certainly. And uh, and there's any number of possibility as, as to how they, they could have got him. I mean, I, I don't know if they found a way to, to guarantee him that he would be eligible or something or or – I, I don't know if they found some way to negatively recruit Florida State as far as death chart goes, which I, I highly doubt it. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in that one. I know a lot of y'all asked, hey, did did the recruitment of Jeff Sims and, and Jeff Sims committing and, and everybody kind of anointing him as as the next uh, you know the, the, the next great great quarterback? Did that have anything to do with this? I I, I don't think so, but but I can't say that for sure. I mean, certainly if you're if you're Lejean and you're looking at Florida State. And over the weekend, they land a, a 2020 kid who most people think is really nice, and he just picked up Penn State, Virginia Tech, and uh, Georgia, and Tennessee, and, and a couple other nice offers. you got to be thinking, man, this, this kid comes in a year after me, and he's from the state of Florida. There, there might be a lot of pressure to play that in-state kid. But uh, I I don't know. I have a hard time thinking that that was really the, the impetus for that. So I wish I had better answers for you tonight as far as exactly what happened there. Uh, but I, I don't know, and I'm sure the, tra- the the staff is trying to figure out as well. Florida State is the only quarter, only program in the nation, best I can tell, to not have signed a high school quarterback in the last two years. So that is a absolute failure by Willie Taggart's coaching staff right there. Not good, and uh, it's not guaranteed to doom them, but it certainly unnecessarily ratchets up the degree of difficulty, in my opinion, for a coaching staff that already has challenges it has to overcome, some of which we've talked about before. Now, look, they could be fine. I'm, I'm not going to be here super doom and gloom and say that, that they're absolutely screwed because they're not. They're, they're not necessarily screwed. They could be fine. They could be totally fine if they get a graduate transfer in here at quarterback. Now, of course, you're going to have to balance that with, with you know James Blackman Probably not wanting you to do that, I would guess, given the fact that we, we saw Brendan Sinone uh, report that he had you know, considered putting his papers in, into the transfer portal and, and had made steps to do that back in the day, and or not back in the day, but rather a couple weeks ago. Um, can you find a graduate transfer quarterback to come in simply for depth purposes? Or can you take a, a, a quarterback who's going to be eligible immediately somehow due to a waiver who might be younger than James? Or can you get Jordan Travis eligible via a hardship waiver? Willie Taggart did say uh, that they don't know what the outcome of his waiver will be today, but that certainly implies that they have applied for the waiver. Uh, I don't know how to get that info exactly due to student privacy stuff, but uh, a lot of people have asked, hey, when will we know about Jordan Travis's waiver? I don't know. If I, if I recall, I think it took a long time for Shea Patterson's waiver to get granted over the summer. But but if you do any of those two any of those things, I think you'll be fine. Because that way you have James Blackman one, 
a somewhat experienced non-true freshman backup quarterback two. And then you have Nolan McDonald three. And Nolan McDonald is a walk-on. However, he's a pretty good walk-on. He, he was a, a three-star rated recruit last year. He's not somebody who's just, just some slappy. He's very athletic. If you needed to put it in sort of an emergency package with him, you absolutely could do so. And it's also possible that, that they'll run more Wildcat this year or Wild Cam or, or use Travis J in that package. We know that at Baylor, uh, Kendall Bryles had a lot of experience doing that when they needed to, including in a bowl game where they ran for almost 500 yards against North Carolina with no scholarship quarterbacks available. Literally, they just put guys back there and, and they ran like a Wildcat thing the entire time back in, I think, the 20, I think it was 2013 or 2014. Uh, anyway, so Florida State does not get a quarterback. Now, they will not be fine, in my opinion, if they do nothing. If it's just James Blackman and Nolan McDonald into the year, it's possible that works out. It's possible Blackman stays healthy. It's not a guarantee that he won't get hurt. But this reminds me, in many ways, of the offensive line situation last year. We told you all, hey, the starters, they're not bad. The backups are horrible, and they can barely run practice. You, you really cannot have a situation, in my opinion, where Blackman is your only scholarship quarterback who's eligible to play. Now, obviously, you would have Travis in practice. that It'll help you practice out a lot to have him. But you need to find a way to get him eligible or get another player in here who has some eligibility. Now, Willie Taggart said they're going to be okay. They have a plan. They're not really uh, wanting to divulge that plan right now. Uh, that's probably smart because, got to be honest, you know, Willie is uh, is 0 for 2 getting quarterbacks now and probably a lot more than that if, if, if you count up the whiffs on the quarterbacks. So not a good look there. Um, he said after the early signing period they would get a, they would get a quarterback in and, and everything would be okay, and they failed to do so. So definitely not a good look there. From uh, from Willie Taggart and the staff to fail to get the quarterback, and uh, you know I I got to rip him. That's that's how it goes. So uh, anyway, yeah, a lot of y'all ask, hey, is Nolan is Nolan McDonald actually legitimately a a talented kid? Yeah, he is, but he's not the. I think he'd be much better as a number three than as a number two, which is why I said I think you'll be fine as long as you get one other eligible player uh, in there this year. And no, th- there was no guarantee that LeJean would beat out Nolan McDonald in year one to be the backup this year. But he would have been eligible to play, assuming he would get qualified. Uh, and and that's kind of what you need. You need bodies there at the position. And to me, it's a very weird thing going on. Personally, I, I just I look at this. The 2020 quarterback situation to me looks great, or at least a heck of a lot better than it has in a long time. Consider this. You're going to have James Blackman, as a redshirt junior, you're going to have Jordan Travis as a redshirt sophomore. So two more years eligible of Blackman, three more years eligible of Jordan Travis. I assume you'll have somebody else in there. You're going to have Nolan McDonald, who at this point will be a third-year walk-on, who is a three-star. So if he's your emergency fourth or fifth, that's awesome. And then assuming you keep him, and he's doing a really good job so far of being the leader of your class, you're going to have Jeff Sims, who's a highly touted freshman, a guy, guy I like a lot. I, the projected currently quarterback room for 2019 against 2020 is just absolutely night and day. And it, it is, they've got to find a way to make it through 2019 to get to 2020 because things really could be looking up there. That's kind of the, the, the two sides of this coin. You can be really doom and gloom about 2019 quarterback situation as it's currently comprised, and I think it's justified to be so. However, you also look at this and you say, damn, 2020 could be really nice. You're going to have a almost certainly a third-year or a fourth-year starter at quarterback, or you know, not a fourth-year starter, but a fourth-year player or a third-year player starting for you at quarterback. That's a nice thing. That's a real nice thing. So... Anyway, uh, yeah, failure to get Lance LeJean. Um, since the last podcast, by the way, John Reese Plumley did go to Old Miss as we thought he would. Uh, it's just hard to get some of those type kids to come from the deep south Tallahassee. It's a it's an issue that uh, multiple staffs now have had and have, have talked about it 
you know, behind the scenes. All right, y'all want to take a minute to tell you about Resolution Home Loans. Just got off the phone with Shannon today. He called me big time. Noel wanted to know all the scoop during signing day. And that, that is a perk. Uh, if you're an advertiser, you can you can call us and uh, we will give you uh, maybe some some true insider heat before we even record. And uh, he said, hey, uh, before we talk Noel business, I need you to get, <laughs> need you to get those forms in so we, we, we can get this loan finalized. And uh, it's through underwriting and, and very excited about it. So Resolution is a Noel-owned business. They're great to work with. Personal service, competitive rates, knowledge of the business, experience in the industry. We've had over 15 people now get loans through Resolution Home Loans with more on the way. If you get one, we also send you a t-shirt, which is kind of a throw-in. You you shouldn't get a loan through Resolution just to get a t-shirt, but if you want to, that's pretty cool. How do you get in contact with them? 844-FSU-LOAN. That's 844-FSU-LOAN. Or visit FSUHomeLoans.com. That's FSUHomeLoans.com. Check them out. You won't be sorry. Uh, let's switch to running back real quickly here. Florida State did not end up uh, uh, trying to take Elante Brown. Um, believe there are some issues as far as will he qualify. Also, how does he fit? We know he wants to play receiver. Florida State would have liked him to play running back. However, uh, I think this is actually one of the wins of the day that was largely underreported or, or just unreported. Florida State got Treshawn Ward as, as a walk-on. Treshawn Ward is a three-star running back out of Tampa Bay Tech, who had some legitimate college offers, like not just, you know, D2, but like legitimate FBS offers. To me, you were not going to sign a superstar back in this year's class. And you do have some high-profile targets in next year's class that you really want to go after. The ability to sell them playing time is going to be paramount. Florida State can now do this. And importantly, in taking Treshawn Ward, they get a guy who is FBS quality. He's a legitimate D1 football player for depth purposes, who might actually get some carries in a game at some point, maybe. And you don't have to expend a scholarship on him, at least not for all four years. To me, that's a big-time win. Ward is, is, a, is a better player than you typically get as a walk-on. So if Florida State was able to not expend a scholarship on a guy who would probably not play a whole lot. You pocket the scholarship, you go harder after it next year. To me, that's a win. That's a nice, nice recruiting win for Florida State. Offensive line-wise, well, you went two for three, which is what I was hoping they would do, to be honest. I, I didn't want to go three for three there. I know a lot of people did, but uh, personally, I, I don't think so. Uh, I, I think taking taking the four high school kids and, and the two um, the two junior college slash transfers and trying for another junior college slash transfer is the preferable route to take. So if Florida State does go two for three, they get Darius Washington from Pensacola like we thought they would. They get Ira Henry. Uh, from St. Louis, Trinity High School, like we thought they likely would. Um, I thought they, I really thought they had a, a greater than 50% chance of getting all three. I was wrong on Kamar Bell. Kamar Bell, from what we were told, uh, he wanted to go to Auburn. His family did prefer Florida State, and he ended up uh, switching, not switching rather, but but choosing Auburn. So the package deal with him and Ira Henry uh, is um did, did not materialize. Like we, we kind of had a little skepticism that it might not. So anyway, uh, Darius Washington, big hands, big feet, not a super tall guy, but, but pretty good legitimate length could play tackle for Florida state. If not, you know, definitely can play guard has good quickness. I think given the state of FSU's current offensive line, that's a good take. I understand why Florida State did not offer him earlier in the year. Earlier in the year, they were whale hunting. They came up empty on that, largely, um, you know, with, with Evan Neal and guys like that. But a strong senior season from Washington, uh, you know, saw him decommit from, from Mississippi State. He got big-time interest from Florida State Miami and a few other schools. And, and so, you know, ultimately a, a, a nice get for them. I asked a source, I said, what was the key? And he said, look, it, it was Keyshawn Hilton talking to him and, and showing him, hey, this program really is going places and, and the culture legitimately is getting fixed. And, you know, we talked about this, I think two or three weeks ago. And I remember, y'all y'all should remember, I think, me telling you, hey, like you've got to have players inside your, your program still believe. Because if players inside your program start to dog it and they're like, yeah, you know, we're here, it's fun, but but they're not really believing in what's going on anymore, then you're done. That's what happened to Mark Richt. Remember, we, we 
we told you there were players dog, dogging uh, Miami out to kids who were on official visits. So, I mean, that's huge that there are still players, including a former teammate like Keyshawn Hilton, who are believing and who are still actively recruiting. You know, Ira Henry said the same thing. He said, look, you know, Florida State just had a ton of guys, current players and recruits, just reach out to me and, and tell me how much they needed me and, and how this, you know, this place was a family and, and just, you know, how the place is going places. So it's interesting here that, that the, the current players kind of believe in what's going on perhaps more than, than even the fan base does. Also, I, I, um, if you saw Henry's quote, he told 247 that he liked that, uh, that Coach, uh, Coach Greg Fry uh, kept it 100 with him, and uh, he basically didn't, didn't lie to him. He said, look, he told me about my strengths, my weaknesses. He didn't just tell me I was good at this or that. He, he didn't tell me I was the best. And that's true because Ira Henry, who projects to uh, – he has, the, he has the, the frame to play tackle. I don't know that he has the skills to play tackle yet. They're going to have to be developed. He's not, a, to me, an early impact guy necessarily – Although he has done some work to reshape his body in the last year and a half. I've, I've got a photo of him when he was a junior at an Under Armour camp where he was looking pretty heavy. And uh, in all the recent photos and videos, he looks uh, he looks much thinner. I haven't seen any actual film on him as a singer, though. So I'm looking to find that, see, see if anybody has that. Because his junior stuff is, is just not that impressive to me. You know, maybe he's made some big strides. I guess we'll have to see. Um, certainly two schools that were pretty desperate for offensive linemen in FSU and Auburn wanted him badly down the stretch. So it's hard to say if they wanted him because he had a great senior year or something or because they were simply desperate for bodies. But in any case, uh, he's in the fold now. And you know, just you hear the kid talk, he, he seems like, like a pretty mature kid. So that was, that was good to see. Florida State uh, did meet its numerical needs at offensive line. Did it meet them with elite talent? Uh, in my opinion, no, but I am. I think you should be pleased that Florida State did not reach and take too many guys who simply can't play. You know, maybe you get two starters out of this group, out of out of you know Murray Smith, Ira Henry, Darius Washington, and Dante Lucas, and maybe eventually you get two starters out of, out of the group of, of Meadows, Armstrong, Goss, and uh, I mean, heck, I'll, I'll even include Chaz Neal. In that, not not this year starters, but down the line, right? Like that would be a tremendous hit rate if two of those four guys you just signed in each of the last two classes are able to start. In addition to obviously having Ryan Roberts, the graduate transfer offensive tackle, and then Jay Williams, uh, who, who comes in and, and has two years to play, the, the JUCO who used to be a uh, you know, used to be a receiver at one point in his high school career. So uh, one four star. Three three stars at offensive line, um, and I mean that's overall as far as the high school level. Dante Lucas leads the way there, but I, I think you could have a couple of, of decent players there, not players that are necessarily likely to win, win you a national title, but players who are, are potentially helpful in terms of competing more within the conference, which is a step that Florida State certainly needs to take. So, if you look at it, FSU has lost at least three games a, a, a ton in recent memory. I mean, I looked this up the other day. Somebody said, is that going to help FSU compete for a national title? And I said, like, to go undefeated? Probably not. But but take a look at, at their records. I mean, since my freshman year, well, let's just go back. Since, since, my, since my sophomore year of high school, Four losses, five losses, three losses, three losses, five losses, six losses, six losses, four losses, six losses, four losses, four losses, four losses, two losses, zero losses, one loss, three losses, three losses, six losses, seven losses. I mean, that's, if, if the math on my hands is right, that's, that's 17 years with at least three losses. And, uh, Three without. So in the last 20 years, only three times has Florida State been undefeated, one loss or two loss. They need to get back to that level to where they're only losing three or four games a year first, probably, before they can think about going for a national title 
or to the playoff. And that way, maybe you can get some booster excitement back in this thing. You can get people to donate. You can get people to buy season tickets again. You can really get some of the resources that you need to compete you know, really on a high level since you seem to have lost that a little bit. But that's not what I'm blaming on this recruiting. I think the coaching staff made some missteps like we covered on, on the early signing day podcast as far as staying focused on you know A-level targets too long, targets that, in my opinion, they were not going to get, targets who I know for a fact that people told them they were not going to get. They believed they would get them. They were incorrect about that. It, they, they took way too long to offer their B-level targets because they spent too much time on their A-level targets. And thus, they had to they had to settle for Plan C-type kids, which I think a lot of this class is, personally. So just a criticism there. I think it's a valid one. We'll, we'll see what they do in the 2020 class. So defensive line, they, they did hold serve on Quayshon Fuller. Keeping him in the fold was big. Uh, he is probably the highest upside defensive lineman that Florida State has signed in the last two years. Uh, this is a criticism I have of the staff, by the way, not a criticism about, about Quayshon, but I do think that uh, they have not landed elite defensive line talent in the last two years. If they do not get some studs on the defensive line in the 2020 class, and I'm talking about guys who are both high ceiling but also higher floor. I think you've got some guys in, in the recent classes who have very high ceiling but a very low floor. And I think you have some guys who have a very high floor but a lower ceiling. You need to go out and get some combo guys who can contribute early because I don't know how many impact players Florida State has signed with the defensive line in the last two years. I think they'll have a couple guys develop, but they need some instant studs. You got to pony up, you got to put the bags on the table, and you got to get those kids in here in the 2020 class. Fuller is probably the best one they've signed talent wise in the last two cycles, in my opinion. We'll see what happens with, with Xavier Peters. He might end up being really good. But I think Fuller's versatility, the ability to play multiple positions for you, depending on how he grows, is big. You kept him away from Alabama, who, in my opinion, did legitimately want him. So a nice win there. He stays with the program that he knows the best and uh, and wants to forward his own path, which you know is, is hard because sometimes kids just see the name Alabama and they want to pick that offer. So. Uh, nothing new at linebacker. They they hold hold serve with, uh, with with the three they had. Didn't grab any more. I think that's fine. Pretty good job of meeting the needs there. And then defensive back. Uh, they they hold serve on Travis Jay and Brendan Gant, which we expected them to do, but they did. They do deserve credit for that because certainly other kids uh, at other programs flipped after early signing period, and Florida State uh, kept their kids after the early signing period. So. Uh, Jay Ward ends up going to LSU, uh, likely because LSU had a spot open up, I believe. Uh, I thought he was going to go to Kentucky, but I think LSU found room. Uh, I'm not entirely clear how um, how much Florida State wanted Ward. I think they probably would have taken him if he really wanted to come, but you know, we had heard that he maybe was a little bit shied off due to the depth chart because Florida State had six guys in their class. and. Um, then finally here, Nick Cross. You know, Nick Cross is a situation now, like we've reported several times. Nick Cross wants to go to Florida State. Nick Cross's parents do not want him to go to Florida State. I'm not sure exactly why. I've been told it's academics. I think I buy that to be honest, simply because, you know, I we, we've seen people say, oh, they don't they don't uh, they don't want to go to Florida State due to negativity of fans and blah blah blah. And I, I think that's BS because they didn't want him to go to Florida State back over the summer, and they needed a lot of convincing. Well, back over the summer, fans on social media loved Willie Taggart, like just loved him, loved him. So, and, and I think a lot of them still do, but but certainly some don't now. So I, I really don't think that the uh, that the reason is that. I, I think it's because of, of the perception of academics, because of distance, and, and because of the, of the perception of, of where the program's are going, most likely, at least in the eyes of uh, of Cross's parents. I, I'm a little bit surprised that this situation is still not resolved as of uh, as of eight o'clock on Wednesday night. To me, that's that's kind of surprising. I thought that it would be resolved one way or the other, but it looks like Nick is going to uh, gonna gonna go longer with this thing. I know we've seen people suggest. I'm not reporting this. I, we've seen people suggest that maybe he'll, he'll just wait until he turns 18, and then he can sign and do whatever the heck he wants. 
that's pretty rare. I don't typically see kids do that, so we'll have to see, you know, how that how that turns out. But uh, so yeah, right now Nick Nick uh, Cross is not in the class, but uh, he has not decommitted either. Kind of weird, huh? We've seen it reported potentially that uh, um, Maryland is maybe a compromised school, but it, I don't know how, how well that would work. His former high school coach, Elijah Brooks, who was at DeMatha, got hired as an actual position coach at Maryland. We, we've discussed this before in recent episodes. Maybe that would be a compromise for him, but it's really clear Nick wants to be in Tallahassee, and it's just going to be how, how long can he hold out? It's easy for, for us on, on Twitter, if you're a Twitter fan, to say, hey, you know, Nick, stay strong, hold out, man, follow your heart, blah, blah, blah. It's a lot harder to live in that household where the parents don't want to do what you want to do. How many days does that really last? I I have my doubts that it's going to last that many days, but uh, I guess we will see. So, uh, no cross yet, uh, but, but you also can't cross him off your list, if you like that pun. Held serve on Travis J. Held serve on, on Quayshawn Fuller. Picked up Ira Henry and Darius Washington. Did not get Legendre. Uh, and uh, and ended up getting a, a, a walk-on running back who they like a whole lot. So with that, uh, we will join you again probably in 24 to 48 hours with a larger breakdown of the class, the strategy, the ramifications. And uh, Ingram will be back as well. So y'all's favorite host will be back. And... Uh, until then, please give us five stars on iTunes if you like the show. We have some very exciting podcast opportunities coming up, and I think we might have shirts for sale again just in time for spring. Okay, now we want to welcome in Matt Menick as part of our Fast Break Basketball Minute with Menick. Hey, that's pretty cool. I just made that up on the spot. Uh, presented to you <laughs> by Madison Social, Madison Social, which is also the home of the Leonard Hamilton Show, which you can uh, you can see recorded live uh, every Thursday at Madison Social. Also check out Township and Central two awesome restaurant bar combos that, that'll really give you a great experience in Tallahassee. Uh, Matt, glad to have you back. It's been about, not quite three weeks, but but about two and a half uh, since we last talked hoops on the Nolcast. Yeah, glad to be back. Glad to be back. And I'll be sure to be uh, heading down to Township when I'm, uh, when I'm next time I'm in town for a game, too. Love that no, place. No doubt, man. That, that, especially when the weather's nice. They, they, they got the open air. That's, that's, that's oh, the yeah. spot. I take my dog down, sit outside. We enjoy it. So, seventeen and five, five and four in the ACC. That that doesn't sound great compared to where we thought they needed to be a couple weeks ago. But these last two games, Florida State has has reversed the course. They've uh, they've seemingly pulled it out. I mean, first we saw a very um, let's just say a win over Georgia Tech that was perhaps not a great advertisement for the sport of college basketball, uh, but a gritty win, uh, and then a, a win o- over Syracuse. Um, also on the road where it was a good game. It was a legitimate game of runs and both teams, you know, showed some skill and, and Calvin Golly in, ends up taking over towards the end. What, what do you take from, from where Florida State is now? And, and what do you take from those last two games? Yeah. Uh, where they are now, like you said, 17 and five, five and four, honestly, not who maybe one game back of where where you thought they might be when you looked at the first like nine games of this of the ACC season. I mean, you, you just go ahead and Virginia, Duke, those feel like losses. You're never going to win all your road games, so wasn't surprising to see a loss at least at one of the BC and Pitt. And and as you said, the last three four games they've really righted the ship, uh, so to speak, and and specifically with Georgia Tech and Syracuse. Um, so I, I'd say they're they're kind of rounding into form at the right time of year. Georgia Tech, to your point, look, Josh Pastner is is trying to work some miracles up there in Atlanta. He doesn't have a lot of talent on the roster, and their whole goal is just to muck things up. And they're very good at it. They have an elite defense that has held a lot of teams uh, to under their season average. The only goal there is get out of there with a win, be healthy. Florida State did that. And then they go up to Syracuse, which, quite frankly, I, I was pretty concerned about going into a place where historically Florida State has struggled with the kind of cavernous sight lines in the dome. And they came out and just shot the lights out uh, and, and really took it to Syracuse for most of the game. I know Syracuse made a great run, as, as a good home team will do, but Florida State led 37 minutes of that game. Uh, so, 
So they've done some real positive things and have put themselves in a position now with the back half of the ACC slate to really make a move uh, up into the top five of the standings. Specifically, what what have you seen from this Florida State team that either A, makes you say, okay, I'm, I'm impressed with this improvement they're showing, or B, maybe they're not necessarily improving, but they are showing the ability to uh, to not drop off given all the injuries that they've suffered? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So first and foremost, you, you hit it with the injuries. Uh, they've just gotten healthier. I think key word is healthier, not completely healthy. But uh, Terrence Mann appears all the way back from that heel in- injury that had slowed him. He had uh, 22 and nine up in Syracuse on only nine. He was eight for nine from the field. So that's pretty efficient. And his explosiveness was clearly back. Uh, MJ Walker is kind of over the knee thing that was bothering him. And, and Calvin Gelly's got over the wrist hand thing that had an issue. So that that's helped for sure. Um, second, they've really done a nice job of of shooting the ball better, more consistently. I don't know that they're ever going to be – they're not going to lead the ACC in three-point shooting, but they're making enough open shots the last four games to make the opponent pay when, when they try to go to a zone. Uh, and all that does is open up the center of the paint for guys like Cobb Gelly and uh, Chris Kamaje and Phil Kofer and even Mann to slash in there and get buckets at the rim. Uh, and then third, something that we talked about before conference play even began, they, they really cut down on their turnovers. Um, you know, in out-of-conference play, they were averaging about 21, 22% uh, a, a turnover on 21 or two, 22% of their possessions. In conference play, against largely better competition, they cut that number down to, to 19%. Um, and, and, and even within that, a lot of them have just been sort of like, you know, trying to make the extra pass, maybe one too many passes or traveling as opposed to live ball turnovers that result in, in points going the other way. They're actually number one in the conference in terms of um, giving away the fewest amount of steals on offense, if you will. That just seems like a, a tremendous turnaround to me. It, it does look a little bit less sloppy, which is nice. And, and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give credit to you and Michael, who over the years have said, look, yeah, it is important to look at turnover rate as a stat. But that's not the only stat. And sometimes Hamilton's teams do tend to be, you know, really, really high up there in turnover rate. But but you have to look at the you know, totality of the picture and say, OK, uh, maybe sometimes they're not great at this. However, they are really good at this other thing, uh, which is, you know, maybe offensive maybe rebounding. <laughs> correct. <laughs> Usually it is offensive. Rebound. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's really encouraging to hear that they actually are, are taking better care of the ball and the numbers back that up especially with the steal rate, you know, like you said, I mean, a, a, a turnover, not, I almost said turnover on downs. Gosh, I, I have football on the brain after signing day, but uh, you know, a, a, a shot clock violation is not necessarily the worst thing in the world. So. Right. Well, and, and you don't want to take away, you know, we've talked in the past about how we want to dribble penetrate and maybe get lobs at the basket. Sometimes that's going to lead to a pass that is over the guy's head and goes out of bounds, right? Like you don't want to take away their, their creativity and, and aggressiveness within the offense. What you don't want to have is lazy backcourt passes that lead to steals and a layup in the other direction. And so if, if Florida State is, is taking they're, – they're creating more steals on defense than they're having on offense. And so that's always a good thing. Absolutely. So right now, where would you project them uh, in the tourney and then – given who's coming back from injury, who's working their way back from injury, and then who you know may not be 100% all year, what what kind of run – I'm not asking you to project exactly what kind of run they're going to have, but like, do you feel like this team is going to potentially be at a spot where it's capable of making a good tournament run? I do. I do. I think it's important to note that Trent Forrest, you know, we've shared this and, and others on national broadcasts have shared it as well, but Trent Forrest is not going to be 100% healthy this year. He's got – you know, a, a toe injury that is going to um, just, it's not going to get better until he takes some significant time off. So that right there, I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but that does probably limit the, when you think about the final four type of run, unless, unless you have someone like, you know, someone like PJ or MJ or, or Kevin Gelly who are able to just step up and, you know, cover and really just put the team on their back for a game or two. Um, it's, it's tough having Trent Forrest out or not fully healthy. That said, he seems to have been able to figure out how to adjust his game and use his basketball IQ to really make plays in other areas. He had 10 assists 
against Syracuse, which obviously is a huge number, season high for him. So what he's maybe not quite able to do in terms of shutting down the opponent's uh, best player or getting to the rim, Trent has been able to figure out ways to adjust his game to his injury and, and still make a difference. So with that all said, um, assuming you don't have a re-injury to someone like a man or a Kofer, I really think that you're looking at maybe a, anywhere between a, a four and a seven or eight seed for, for Florida State, depending on how a couple of these games down the stretch go. And, and for me, I'd be trying to get into that six seed window, which is a really nice, really nice window to you play a three seed in the second round. You get to avoid the one or the two until the sweet 16. And by then, who knows? Upset might have knocked out the one or the two. So if they can get that six seed, I think that would be a really nice setup for Florida State to make a run. Absolutely. So they've got some upcoming games here, which are, are legitimately important, right? I mean, you have a game you host Louisville this Saturday. Next Wednesday, you host Wake Forest. So two back-to-back home games. And then you also have have, have that tilt uh, where you have to go. Uh, you got, got to play at Georgia Tech the following Saturday. What is, if Florida State, if I said, Matt, Florida State's going to go 2-1 this weekend or, or this, this coming weekend weekend. You're banking that all day, right? Like, like we're, we're not pressing our luck and going for 3-0. and Just 2-1 and one in that stretch is is totally good? Absolutely. If you gave me 2-1 and one right now, 2-1 and one right now, I would take it in a heartbeat. That means you either get another road win against, uh, you know, again, a, a kind of a scrappy Georgia Tech team, or you knock off a top 15-team uh, Louisville at home. And that game actually probably has even more significance that we'll talk about it in just a minute. Um, but, you know, two and one would be fantastic. Put you in a great, uh, great position heading down the stretch. Makes sense. I, I watched that Louisville game the other, the other night against Virginia Tech. And, man, they, they were just suffocating defensively. That was, that was, a, 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 that was an impressive performance by them. They're, they're going to be tough. You, you think Florida State will be favored this weekend? Uh, I think they'll open favored. I think they'll open probably favored by a point, maybe a point and a half. Um, you know, home, home court, as we've talked about, really does make a difference. It's important to note Louisville did look fantastic. Um, it's important to note that Virginia Tech was without their starting point guard, Justin Robinson, and Virginia Tech doesn't have a ton of depth. So, you know, that I think that definitely impacted them in that game. Uh, but, you know, like a lot of games in the ACC, Florida State will not have the best player on the court. Jordan Nuara uh, is a sophomore for Louisville that has really, <laughs> really stepped it up this year. He's shooting 40% from three. Uh, he's six seven. you know, matchup problem, gets to the free throw line, knocks him down from there. Big time rebounder, um, you know, defender. So I, I think they will be favored, but it could, you know, it's, it's a pick em game to, in reality. I think it makes sense. If you had to put a number on it, which of the which of the other two are you more confident that they'll win? Home against Wake. Wake Forest is I the worst team in the league. Um, <laughs> and I you know they they actually I'm surprised they they beat uh, they won they beat Pitt the other night at home, which frankly when it went to overtime was probably a game that they could have just quit on, but it seems like they quit on their coach. Uh, but so to get Wake Forest at home I don't know, for a 17-5 and five team, there's not really like a must-win game, so to speak, but, but that is a game that you – that should be a get-healthy game, right? Like you should be able to get some of your bench guys some good minutes and experience in that game. I mean, that, that's that's what a, a, a team should do, and, and hopefully they're able to take care of business you know, this week. If they get 3-0, and I mean, that would be incredible. I, I, I almost feel like like they didn't play their A game. I mean, I, I not. I don't almost feel like I know they didn't play their A game against Georgia Tech, right? They they were they were off, but they still managed to win. I mean, they they did some good things in the game, obviously, but it was not it was not that pretty of a game. Um, man, if they could find a way, like if they're able to upset, you know, if they can upset Louisville, I just I just think that would be that'd be big time, you know. And then maybe they could pull a three, you know. That that maybe that's just the fan in me, but I'm, I'm that'd be pretty sweet. So. I um, I definitely think three and zero. If, if you made me pick, I'd probably say two and one is you know most likely and, and what we would absolutely take, and then three and zero, and then one and two. Um, it's hard. It's hard to imagine. I don't know. I can't see Florida State losing 
back-to-back Wake Forest and Georgia Tech. Uh, if they lost to Wake somehow, that would wake them up for the next game, no pun intended. So I, I think 3-0 and is not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, to your point, you're not going to have your A game every game. That's just the reality with, with a 30-game schedule. But you got to find ways to win when you don't have it. And so that was, you know, it was good of them the first time against Georgia Tech, and hopefully they can do that again up in Atlanta. All right, so I've been talking recruiting all day, more, more football recruiting than basketball, obviously, but it's time to talk about basketball recruiting. Uh, pretty big uh, pretty big thing going on next Monday, and that is Anthony Edwards, uh, arguably the number one player in the nation, uh, is going to, uh, going to commit. Where he's going to commit is uh, – it's not certain. Um, for a while, it really looked like Florida State probably had the lead, and, and now, uh, now Matt, you, you might have to bring us some news that, that's, that's not quite as good. Yeah, we've talked about him, and folks might remember, he's the kid that was probably the best high school prospect regardless of class, and he reclassified up from 2020 into the 2019 class. And, and when he reclassified you know, back in the late fall, it was – I mean, Florida State was definitely out front and, and presumed by most to be you know, not just in the lead but solidly in the lead – and, and to be fair, I don't really think they've done anything wrong since then, right? They, uh, they continue to play well. They're in the top 25 in the country. Um, they have an exciting brand of basketball. And, and the same thing that got them in the lead, the relationship that they've developed with him over the last um, you know, three, four years is still present. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, the last couple of weeks, the University of Georgia up in Athens, you know, he's from Atlanta, has made a pretty compelling pitch to his family of of uh, how nice it would be to stay, you know, at home and and play in front of friends and family all the time, and and be the guy that you know takes a million shots for for a team that really doesn't have much other talent. And and right now, you know, the signs are pointing to Georgia. What kind of chance would you give Florida State to to, to potentially sway him this weekend? You know, getting him on campus obviously is is the first step, right? If if he for whatever he's already canceled visits to UNC and Kansas, right? So if he cancels the Florida State visit, I think we can go ahead and just wrap that up. Uh, but getting him on campus for the Louisville game, which he's supposed to be, uh, that's huge, and and that gives uh, Leonard Hamilton and, and Cy and Coach Coach Jones one more chance to really impress upon him what they have the entire time, which is the the selfless culture, the family-oriented atmosphere, and just what he could be part of with you know with him in the fold next year. That's that's a legit team that could you know make a Final Four run. Um, so if they knock that visit out of the park, I, I do think it's possible that you know they can still reel him in, and and perhaps the maybe the best case scenario would be that just getting him to push his announcement date back you know a week and give him something to think about and and allow. Uh, allow that kind of longer term relationship that Hamilton has with, with the prospect with Edwards to maybe, you know, sink in a little bit more. Now, can he sign on Monday? Is, is, is that how college basketball works? Like, like he can put, put in the paper and, and this could be done. No, this would just be an announcement. There, there is a late uh, signing period in April. Um, but College basketball does not see the kinds of decommits that that college football does. It it does happen. Uh, usually, when it happens, it's because someone has been maybe recruited over. Um, but I I would I'd be pretty shocked if whoever uh, Anthony Edwards ends up announcing for, whether that announcement comes on Monday or Tuesday or any other day, I, I think that's probably going to be the team that he picks that he ends up enrolling at. Oh man! All right. Well, hey. Hopefully, Florida State can uh, can can do something about it this weekend, and you know, anything's possible certainly. But it, it does seem like they gave it a really good shot. If uh, even if it doesn't work, and we, we've certainly seen yeah. how uh, how hometown kids uh, will will stay with the team uh, for for the better and for the worse. Well, uh, and I think it's worth pointing out here that this is not an. Uh, an Andrew Wiggins situation like th- this wasn't a kid whose dad played at Florida State and and had all these family connections. I mean, Florida State is only in this because of the fact that they uh, that Leonard Hamilton is an 
excellent identifier of talent early on in the process. And so they uh, more earlier than any other team offered him and were on him hard and, and were able to cultivate that relationship. So they, it's not one of these situations where, oh man, they blew it. I mean, they have put themselves in the position to land the number one prospects in the country. Um, you know, and as you said, sometimes that, that home, that draw to play at home, it just gets pretty strong there at the end. I'll say this though, too. The one area that Edwards probably needs to grow the most in is just defensive focus and defensive ability. And uh, Tom Crean, George's coach, he he's hasn't produced. He, he's only he hasn't really known for his defense. Uh, six of his last ten defenses have been outside the top one hundred. So I, I think too, if uh, if if Edwards turns down John Calipari and Leonard Hamilton, two coaches really known for their defense, I, that that probably also gives an indication into the kind of uh, what he's valuing in terms of what he's going to be allowed to do on the court and in, in, in his one year in college. So if I'm reading between the lines here, if, if Edwards goes and picks Georgia, he, he might just be a dude who wants to take a million shots and, and, and uh, yeah, well, Ben Simmons went to LSU and, and they didn't even make the tournament that year. Ben, ben Simmons went to the NIT and, and then he was still a, you know, a lotto pick and, and that's fine. And he's having a lot of success, uh, you know, in the NBA. Not every kid is wired to to want to win a championship. And I, I'm not saying – I don't know Anthony Edwards. I'm not saying that's the case. What we can do is look at this factually and say that Georgia is 1-7 currently in the SEC and 10-11 and and on the year. Um, they don't have a ton of – it's not like he's part of this star-studded class. And so he would be going there to be developed by a guy who's, yes – put Dwayne Wade into the NBA more than a decade ago and Victor Oladipo, you know, six or seven years ago. And, and he, and the offense is going to be built around him and under Tom Crean defense is optional. So. And was Dwayne Wade, was he like an unheralded, unheralded guy or, or, or did Tom Crean like, like, did he really develop him or, or was he already a pretty good player? Was he, he uh, Marquette, right? Yeah. It was Marquette. Yeah. He was not, I wouldn't say he was uh, a rock star recruit. Um, he, I think, came. I mean, he was a four-year guy at Marquette, so he's certainly a guy who was uh, who was developed. You know, this is so long ago that it's kind of it kind of predates a lot of the uh, recruiting systems that we have now. But you know, he, he was he was not a McDonald's All-American, as I recall. I could be wrong, but I don't think he was like a top 10 or 20 recruit. He spent four years at Marquette and, and was developed. Uh, Victor Oladipo was more of a, you know, what you would consider a top-tier recruit who spent a couple years in Indiana and is doing well in the NBA. Very cool. All right, man. Well, uh, I think I'm out. On ba- is there any like obvious basketball question that I missed? I'm just trying to, trying to make sure I ask all the important ones and, and be a good host. Um, that's kind of what I've noticed just from watching the team and from reading y'all's coverage. Is there anything we, we also really should talk about uh, this week? The only thing other thing I'd say is that you mentioned it really, but what, what a revelation Fiondu uh, Cabin Gelly has been become, and, and he is the hardest worker on the team. And so I don't know it's a surprise, but I tell you what, if he keeps stepping out and hitting threes, like he did against Syracuse, um, you talk about the ability, you know, can Florida state make a run? Well, six ten guys who are incredible offensive rebounders and good defenders and step out and can hit twenty five foot threes, they're pretty hard to defend. <laughs> so um, that could be something to keep an eye on moving forward. Is can he start consistently hitting that three point shot? That is nice. I, I do like watching him play, and uh, man, it's just it's smooth when it goes down. I, I'm I'm a fan of it. So very cool. Uh, and I think we are. Uh... We are out for this week.